What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Friday, September 30th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, let's go wake Billy Joe Armstrong up. Happy last day of September. (laughs) Yes, happy last day of September. This month flew by. I had like two weddings this month, so it was just a little crazy. Um, But still just good to get into October and, and all that that brings. Pumpkins are out. People are getting ready for Halloween. Yep. Pick out your costumes. Don't forget. Yeah. Yeah. And also, if you if you listen very faintly in the background, you can hear the sounds of Mariah Carey defrosting, getting ready to play uh, <laughs> All I Want for Christmas is You in like two months. <laughs> yes. I'm a, you know what, Matt? I'm a believer that like you can start playing Christmas music like right when like November hits. I know you're not that person. I th- I'm pretty sure you're one of those people that's like, it needs to be after Thanksgiving. But I'm yeah, just letting, I'm a day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, guy. I'm just I'm just letting everyone know that's the kind of guy I am. As long as you're okay with me absolutely bumping the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack for the next month, that's <laughs> all that matters to me. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Just like Jack Skellington is the king of Halloween Town, Nick and I are the king of environmental podcasting. We're gonna get into the <laughs> show right now. Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. Quick scheduling note again, just like last week, uh, we are going to cover Hurricane Ian on next Friday's show. It's currently passing through Florida at the time of recording. It knocked out power to the entire island of Cuba. It's causing severe storm surge in the Caribbean islands and the Florida Keys, so Again, just like with Fiona last week, you know, our our thoughts got to everybody impacted and we're just really hoping for everyone's safety here. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully everyone evacuated when they needed to. All right, time for our quick hits for the week. So the first one is by Valerie Volkovici and Moira Warburton of Reuters, and they write, U.S. Senate votes to amend global treaty to curb climate warming gas. Last week, the U.S. Senate voted 69 to 27 to ratify the Kigali Amendment to the Montreal Protocol, which cuts the use of hydrofluorocarbons. HFCs are a major greenhouse gas and are used in heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and refrigeration. They are much more potent than carbon dioxide and for that reason contribute at a much higher rate to climate change. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called this a win-win in our fight against climate change and also added that banning HFCs will create tens of thousands of good-paying American jobs in producing replacements for HFCs. Worldwide implementation could prevent as much as half a degree Celsius or 0.9 degrees Fahrenheit of global warming, so this is huge news. Yeah, definitely. John Kerry, who serves as the U.S. Climate Envoy, helped negotiate this amendment in Kigali, Rwanda in 2016 and called this a victory for the climate and the American economy. The authors write, the amendment includes specific targets and timetables to replace HFCs with climate-friendly alternatives and restricts countries that have ratified the Montreal Protocol and its amendments from trading in controlled substances with states that haven't ratified. 
So not only does this create targets and timetables to reach those targets, it also says that if you aren't going to follow the amendment, we just aren't going to trade with you. In the U.S., this is going to improve the economies of Louisiana, New Jersey, Texas, and a few other states to lesser degrees as the world's leaders in HFC substitutes. For air conditioners and refrigerators being produced without HFCs, most of that impact is going to be felt internationally. Derwood Zalke, the president of the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development, said the amendment can provide an example for other climate negotiations. He said, when you line up business goals with environmental goals, you can get bipartisan support at home and north-south support globally for stronger multilateralism. Yeah, so what he means by north-south there is the global north and the global south, not necessarily geographic north and geographic south. It means the larger industrialized nations, that's called the global north, and our global south is your developing nations. So when you get a worldwide agreement here, like this one was negotiated at a conference in Kigali, Rwanda, when you get an agreement like that, it takes everyone being on board, or at least a very strong majority. And in this case, you need both bipartisan support at home to get the U.S. to sign on, but you need, like he said, the global north and the global south to all say, yeah, this is a good idea. This is going to be better for us at home Mm -hmm. and our planet. And it seems like everyone is on board here, which is amazing. Yeah, and we saw this last year around this time with the Clean Air Act. Same thing, banning uh, uh, hydrofluorocarbons, Jesus Christ. HFCs. HFCs. Um, Yeah, so it's good that Biden's keeping his word here and that things are actually moving forward. Yeah, so for context on this amendment, it's, like we said, an amendment to the Montreal Protocol, which was signed in 1987 and entered into force in 1989. That protocol phased out chlorofluorocarbons, which were releasing chlorine atoms into the atmosphere and depleting the ozone. By banning CFCs, the ozone layer began to restore, So the hope here is that by banning HFCs, we'll see a similar impact on mitigating climate change. Yeah, that's the hope, right? All right, let's move on to our next one. And it is titled The Eco-Friendly Homes That Didn't Lose Power After Hurricane Fiona Hit Puerto Rico by Alejandra O'Connell Domenic for The Hill. So before we talk about this article, um, at least 16 people have died as a result of Hurricane Fiona striking Puerto Rico with thousands of people without electricity or running water. Fiona made landfall as a Category 1 hurricane last Sunday before becoming a Category 4 while moving up the Atlantic last week. Thousands of people in Canada also lost power as a result of the hurricane later in the week. With over 1 million homes and businesses without power, we want to take this opportunity to talk about two prototype homes in Puerto Rico that were able to keep their lights on the whole time. Yeah, so two homes powered by solar energy were paid for by a New York and Puerto Rico-based nonprofit called the Acacia Network. They were built on land donated by the government after Hurricane Maria, and their reinforced walls are meant to withstand earthquakes and hurricane winds. The walls also include natural cross ventilation to keep the home cool to save on energy costs. The solar panels on their roofs provide residents with electricity. And the homes also collect and store filtered rainwater so that occupants can live off both the power and water grids on Puerto Rico. Yeah, so hurricanes actually have the ability to overburden water systems because there's simply too much water for the system to filter. This has left 437,000 residents without water on the island. 
So 33% of people did not have drinkable water, while a heat advisory hit northern parts of Puerto Rico earlier this week. Just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and Puerto Rico has had power outage problems before Hurricane Fiona or Hurricane Maria around five years ago. And a private power company called Luma has tried to fix this. It hasn't really worked, and some residents say it's actually worse than before Luma took over. And also, the power bills are significantly higher under Luma. So maybe these solar prototypes with rainwater collection systems are a glimpse into a better, more equitable, more affordable, cleaner future for the island. And if it works on Puerto Rico, like why not do this elsewhere? This could be a better future for everyone. Yeah, 100%. I mean, especially areas that are more that are going to be more prone to sea level rise and all that stuff in the coming years. Um, this could definitely be a, a, a viable option and, and one that we should definitely look into. Yeah. Okay, next up, Al Gore calls the World Bank chief a climate denier by Manuela Andrioni of the New York Times. Former vice president and current climate activist slash founder of the Climate Reality Project, Al Gore, said last week that President Biden should work for removal of the head of the World Bank, David Malpass. Malpass was accused of being a climate denier at an event during UN Climate Week, but he defended his record on climate, even though he refused to say directly whether he accepted the scientific consensus that burning fossil fuels is a cause for global warming. Malpass said that Gore's remarks were odd and said, quote, I am not a scientist when asked about burning fossil fuels. <laughs> so I think an important distinction that's being made lately is uh, the difference between do you understand the science of climate change versus do you believe? Mm. Um, you know, the difference being, do you understand that the Earth has gravity? It's, it's a fact. Like, yes, the Earth has gravity. Do I understand it? Yes. We spin around the sun. And the magnetic pull of the sun brings me closer to the earth. So when I jump, I fall back down. Climate change is no different. It's accepted by scientists. It's a fact. So when you ask, do you understand the science? That's what people are shifting to. And that's what Malpass was was asked. The old phrasing of the question was often, do you believe in climate change? And that kind of leaves it up to interpretation. Like, mm -hmm. Do you believe that green is the best color? It's my favorite color. I'm going to say yes. That doesn't make it correct. Yeah. And that's the kind of difference here. So I, I really appreciate this push. I know it's semantics. I know it doesn't make a big difference in the grand scheme of things, but it's really important to basically question, hey, do you understand this fact? And if someone says, I'm not a scientist, the answer is probably no. Yeah. Malpass has faced criticism for being unable to improve financing availability for developing nations to fight climate change. Al Gore is quoted as saying, since almost 90% of the increased emissions going forward are coming from developing countries, we have to take the top layers of risk off the access to capital in these developing countries. That's the job of the World Bank. Yeah, so just to break down that number a little bit further... Look, the U.S. is the all-time leader in emissions. We have been there. We've done that. But we have a lot of money here. We have a very wealthy country. We can afford to phase out fossil fuels. So, like Gore said, moving forward, the emissions are going to come from those countries that are still developing, that are still relying on fossil fuels, that can't afford solar and wind and the high startup associated with them sometimes. So... The World Bank is called the World Bank for a reason. It's the World Bank's job to step in 
and break down some of these barriers that say, hey, look, we really want to incorporate more solar at a utility scale for our country, for our state, wherever it is around the world, but we can't afford it. That's what the World Bank does. And this is a program that would benefit the entire world. The World Bank has been called on for more action by your friend and mine, Antonio Guterres. Love you. Who said last week, major economies and their shareholders must make it happen in regards to financing developing nations fight against climate change. Malpass noted that the bank had directed $31.7 billion to climate finance, half of it to projects to adapt to extreme weather events and other climate transformations, which are crucial for developing nations. Yeah, and I mean, John Kerry suggested a major reform or restructuring of how we think about global funding, especially for fighting climate change. He wouldn't go as far as to say Malpass needs to go, but he did say that the World Bank should act more aggressively. For some insight into how the World Bank works, the World Bank has been headed by someone from the U.S. for, I'm pretty sure, its entire existence because the U.S., as the world leader in the economy, has the most shares of the World Bank, so the head of the World Bank is appointed as a U.S. citizen. Biden, as the president of the U.S., cannot straight up remove Malpass, but he can pressure him to resign or work with other shareholders, so other leaders of different countries in the World Bank, to get the board of directors to remove him. Yeah, and White House officials also said they have faith in Malpass, who was appointed by President Trump. His term runs until 2024, so we just need to hope that the World Bank as an institution acts on climate financing and other projects in the next two years before his term is finished up. Yeah, it's not like we can just remove him. And frankly, if the White House says they have faith in him, it's not like he's going to get removed. Yeah. Right? So even though Al Gore might have said that Malpass should step down, it's likely not going to happen. But the World Bank acts for us. The World Bank responds to foreign leaders and, you know, the global community. So if President Biden can work with other world leaders and say, look, we don't want to remove you from power, but what we want to see is more climate financing and helping out these developing nations that need help, maybe that can happen. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about it on the show how developing nations are going to be on the gas and oil kick for a while, like they're they're going to take even longer than we are to catch up with the technology that is on the forefront. So these nations need the funding in order to get on our same page in terms of whatever it may be, wind energy, solar energy, fighting Both. climate change. It's just tech. Yeah. <laughs> fighting climate change at home and being better prepared for when, let's say, the sea level rises or, you know, heat destroys crops you know that's it's a there's a multitude of issues that could happen yeah exactly and look Malpass was facing costs to resign over this because frankly people don't want someone who doesn't understand a scientifically accepted fact as the head of the world bank but David Malpass said he will not be resigning he added that it is clear that greenhouse gas emissions are causing climate change so look if he understands that the next step would be he needs to endorse policies that reflect that view and make sure the World Bank is acting accordingly. Yeah, agreed. All right, we are going to take a quick break and when we get back, we got two more quick hits for you.
Alta today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the materials to store craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. planet today folks and next up your yoga pants are spewing microplastics into the environment by matt simon of mother jones the subtitle here is that microfibers have gotten into basically every ecosystem on the planet and those microfibers come from synthetic clothes such as yoga pants moisture wicking sweatshirts and other polyester clothes every time we wash those tiny parts tear loose and flush out to a wastewater treatment center, which then pumps them out to sea. A single load of laundry can release millions of microplastics, so scientists are unsurprisingly finding these microplastics at the depths of our ocean, at the height of Mount Everest, pretty much everywhere. Even before the synthetic fibers are turned into clothes, they're polluting the planet. The Nature Conservancy released a report recently about the textile supply chain and found that the pre-consumer process of synthetic textiles releases 265 million pounds of microfibers each year. That is the same amount of one entire t-shirt escaping into the environment for every 500 that are produced, according to this article. And the amount of microfibers in the environment could grow by 50% in the next decades as synthetic textiles grow more and more popular. Treatment facilities catch between 83 to 99.9% of microfibers that come from our washing machines and from the factories that make these clothes. But we're producing so many microfibers that even at 99.9% being caught, that 0.1% getting into those ecosystems is overwhelming them. Some microfibers get stuck in solid human waste at wastewater treatment centers, which can get turned into fertilizer for crops. A 2016 study found that in North America, we can be pumping 330,000 tons of microplastics into our crops each year through this process. Feeling pretty good about that food we're eating, brother. Oh, nasty. Yeah, and like it's, it's from sludge. Sludge is the term that's used to talk about turning waste into fertilizer. That's a pretty normal process. You know, there's a lot of nutrients in waste that is good. It helps crops grow. The crops are cleaned off. The waste is treated. You know, it, it, it works. You're not, mm. It's not like you're just eating human waste. But <laughs> in this case, the plastics are not being filtered out 100%. And here they are getting into our crops, which then get into our bodies. And if they're not going to get eaten by us, we're probably going to breathe them in. Because when soils dry out, winds blow those microfibers all over. The article estimates that we have so much microplastic in our air and in our atmosphere, that it's almost as if we have 120 million plastic bottles falling onto just 11 national parks and other protected areas in the western U.S. They call plastic rain the new acid rain. 
The amount of plastics in our ecosystems is a problem because you have smaller organisms like plankton that can choke on microplastics or just eat too much plastic, which can leak the chemicals from plastic into the organisms. Yeah, it just works its way up the food chain, right? The planktons get eaten by fish, and those fish get eaten mm-hmm. by larger fish, and those larger fish get eaten by eagles, and so on and so forth, until it works its way all the way up the food chain, until eventually we're just consuming plastic. Yeah, I mean, it's it's insane to think about. Like, I remember we had an episode, I think it was last year, where we talked about the microplastics produced in your laundry. Mm-hmm. And and all that. And it's just insane to think that goes right into our ocean and then eventually gets treated, whatever, and now it's in your food. It's not a it's not a comforting thought at all. Yeah. It's it's really a, an issue with plastics as a whole. Like plastics are everywhere. And I mean like I'm I'm not gonna pretend that I'm innocent here. I wear synthetic clothes all the time. I, like most of the most of the shirts that I wear are like frisbee jerseys, running clothes like moisture wicking shorts because I'm out exercising or whatever. Like I have a lot of these and it's something that I wasn't aware of. Would I have changed my habits? I don't know. Cause like running in a cotton t-shirt sucks. (laughs) It does. So, you know, is the answer here change everything at the consumer level? Probably not. The answer has got to be somewhere where producing these find a way to make that same style of moisture wicking with maybe less polyester or less synthetic. Like there's got to be something industry wide that can be done to hopefully offset that. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also think just overall reducing consumption in general, like just don't buy as many clothes. Mm -hmm. Don't buy um, as many new clothes also like thrift them. Exactly. Thrift it, exactly. Keep the clothes that are in circulation in circulation. I don't know. For me, I just, I get almost everything at Goodwill at this point, but that's besides the point. But before we close this out, synthetic fibers aren't the only types of textiles that are harmful. We treat natural fibers with so many chemicals that even those can put out chemicals into the environment. Yeah, so some solutions here are to buy untreated natural textiles or to buy something that catches microfibers in the wash. There's several types of items here that can do this and one that I know of and actually plan on buying very soon. It's kind of like a ball that you put in with the laundry and it catches microfibers and collects them the same way that a lint trap would catch lint. So it just makes it a lot easier to dispose of and makes it so less microfibers leach out into the waterway whenever I do laundry. Yeah, that's great. Definitely something I'll look into for sure as well. Yeah, no free ads though. (laughs) All right, our last quick hit of the week is by Sarah Wakefield Adya of the Nature Conservancy, who writes, Barbados commits to ambitious ocean conservation. All right, some good news to send you on your way on this beautiful Friday. Barbados is set to receive $50 million to protect up to 30% of its marine ecosystems as part of a new Blue Bonds project. Prime Minister Mia Motley is known for her fiscal responsibility and global climate leadership. She recently struck a deal that will help the country protect its marine ecosystems, support communities, and sustainably develop its blue economy. Small island nations like Barbados were struck especially hard by the economic impacts of COVID-19, so this is something that is really good news for the country and the ocean, thanks to the Blue Bonds for Ocean Conservation Program. Blue bonds are a debt conversion tool that countries can use to finance conservation commitments quickly. The best way to think of blue bonds is by comparing them to refinancing your mortgage, 
where you refinance your debt at a lower interest rate. The article says, given the short window remaining before some changes to our natural world becoming irreversible, bold action this decade is critical to success. Big programs like this are crucial to making sure that the natural world is protected. Barbados is surrounded by marine space that is 430 times the size of its land area, where several endangered species live, including the hawksbill and leatherback sea turtles, 13 different species of flying fish, and others. Protecting the oceans is also important for the local economy of the island nation, as roughly one in every 50 people who live in Barbados are fishers. Tourism is also a key industry, where the waters and beaches bring in visitors from all around the world. Barbados has faced challenges from overfishing, coastal development, sewage, and other pollution. The government has attempted to combat this, but less than 1% of the ocean in Barbados is currently protected. Increasing this number to 30% of the ocean is a massive improvement. Yeah, and the article says that Barbados is also hit with large storms on an increasingly frequent basis, which can cause damage to roads, electrical grids, and other structures. So this is just one item on a very long list of needs for Barbados and for other small island nations that are in a similar position. But this is a really, really big step that's being taken, and it's going to have a lot of impacts on biodiversity and making sure that their tourism sector stays alive, which brings in more money for the country to help them make those other costly improvements on roads, electrical grids, and other stuff they need to work on. Yeah, I I was going to say the same thing. Tourism is your number one selling point. You're going to make the most money from tourism. And also, when you have a nation that has one in 50 people are fishers, you have to do everything you can to keep the ocean you know, alive and well and, and put as much money towards, uh, you know, marine protection as you possibly can. Yeah. It becomes not just a part of your economy, but part of your culture. Like, yeah. I've never been to Barbados, but I'm sure if, you know, one of every 50 people is a fisher, people, like fishing has got to be a big part of just the community. I'm sure there's yeah, like definitely. amazing fresh seafood. I'm sure there's awesome like trips to go snorkeling or whatever. Like mm-hmm. the ocean has got to be a big part of like self-identification. So protecting that is not just huge for the environment, but it's it's huge for the people of Barbados. God, you're, you're just making me want to go to Barbados now. I'm a Pisces at heart, so I just like, water is my thing. I love fishing. I love the beach. I, you just sold me. I'm done. Let's go. And uh, I think Rihanna, Rihanna is from Yes, Barbados. she sure is. Super Bowl halftime performer, Rihanna. <laughs> That's so cool. That's going to be so legendary. I was just talking about it with my girlfriend. She's not going to know what songs to perform because she has nothing but hits. She has 50 hits, literally. <laughs> Rihanna is the Super Bowl, and then the, the game is the halftime performance. It's insane. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of TPT. On Monday, we're going to be back for a Monday mini-sode to kick off October. Yes. So we got two quick stories for you, so make sure to share it with a friend and help TPT grow. Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Send us an email or follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden. Nick Chanusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout. Nick, where can people hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. I'm going to put out a Doja Cat remix this weekend, so go check it out. We'll be bumping that all weekend. (laughs) Our logo was made by Kaylee Vietz. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace!